Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we wrap up our study through the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. As we work through chapter 3, we're going to see how intentional reminders of God's past faithfulness serve those who are presently struggling by bringing a confidence in the God who will help them to move forward with both strength and joy. And we can rejoice knowing that the sovereign Lord is the impartial judge and he will deliver his own. Thanks for joining us through this study as we are learning how to rejoice in the Lord no matter our circumstances. I think I've shared this story with you before, but once more, when my sister and I were small, my parents took us camping and we packed up the truck and headed off to the campground. And as the tent got set up, uh, my sister and I made our little hideout, our little beds and mattresses in the back of the pickup truck. Now, we had one of those trucks with the hard topper, you know, with the, with the uh, uh, new, I, th- I think they're new, pneumatic uh, uh, lifts, you know, for the, uh, the window in the back. You guys know the kind I'm talking about, right? So we were, uh, we were back there, and on this one particular night, um, nobody apparently checked the forecast or told the children, but there was a storm that was rolling in. And so as it got dark... Uh, I can remember my sister, and we were, we were quite small. I can remember her being a little bit scared in the back of the truck. And then the winds started to pick up. And you know, when, when it's dark out and there's little shadows that are passing by those uh, foggy windows of a truck, your imagination starts to spin. And then the wind brushes a branch off a tree and it falls on the top. And then you start to hear a pitter-patter of rain. And it's like a box of torture in the back of this truck. <laughs> And I remember my sister just starting to whimper. And I, rem- I remember that this was headed in a direction that she was going to get very upset very, very quickly because your imagination starts to think that there are monsters and that you are alone and that you are in danger. And I remember telling her, it's all right. You don't have to cry. It's all right. And then I, I pretty soon found myself telling myself, it's all right. You're going to be okay. It's all right. And then the, the rain started to pound harder. And then there was thunder. And then there was lightning. And she turned into a full-on cry. And by this point, I now was convinced that there also were monsters outside of the truck. And then, you won't believe this, then a monster started to open the window. You know it has that latch? You know, you know the latch on that window in the back of the truck? A monster started to unhook the latch. And now I'm crying only to find out... It was my dad. And he opened the glass with this huge smile with both of his kids in tears saying, how are you guys doing? He, he was so excited with the storm and we were so afraid until that moment. Until the moment that we saw our dad. And we knew that we were going to be just fine. So what do you do with the storms in your life? How do you handle those moments where it feels like hope is gone? That those around you have lost their hope? And that it seems like it's only the rattling at the door that is not God, but it is a monster. How do you face those difficulties when it seems like there's no place to turn? Uh, We are in our final Sunday studying the book of Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn there with me. We have a little bit of ground to cover this morning. We're going to go all the way through chapter 3. 
And as we do, what we will discover is Habakkuk's complaint to the Lord on behalf of the injustice that he sees. And then his disdain for the Babylonians who God is rising up. It all comes to a culmination, a great crescendo this morning that we need to pay attention to. Because there's an answer found in chapter 3. There's an answer that's found for how we need to face difficulties in the storms of life by remembering who God is and what God has done for us. So in Habakkuk chapter 3, we'll read through the whole chapter and then find four short observations uh, moving, ourself, moving ourselves into one, one just single and critical Conclusion, and we're going to tie it. We're going to tie it to a New Testament story as well. So I want you to watch here in our message as we move forward for how we're going to bring in the story just very briefly within the, within a New Testament apostle. How that relates to Habakkuk chapter three. So with that, let's start. I ask you to follow along. Habakkuk chapter three and verse one. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigenoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed in his steps. He stood and the earth shook. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. The age old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kishon in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. The sun and the moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning and the flashing of your spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Selah, with his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones. My legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the invading nation of us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, 
Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. You didn't know that was at the end there, right? Kind of took a turn at the very end. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that too. Okay. Um, Wow. You got much more to say than that? Reading something like this? Wow. Uh, Habakkuk is receiving uh, an apocalyptic vision of God that is a critical reminder for his moment of fear, for his moment of panic. You need to remember and put ourselves in the context here. In Habakkuk's complaint that there is too much evil in this world, God says, I'm going to rise up the Babylonians, and this is worse news than Habakkuk could have ever hoped for. The Babylonians are coming. This evil nation is about to come and to invade Judah and to take them captive and to overrun the city of Jerusalem, to take God's people away into exile. That is what is about to happen. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like a storm brewing. That sounds like the the winds of trouble coming. But what happens to Habakkuk? He sees this picture of God, and it's within this picture that you and I can find a lesson for how we too must respond when the winds pick up and the waves get loud. So a few observations that I'd like us to look at. The first is this, no matter what you're going through, no matter what it is, it could be financial related, it could be health related, it could be relationship related, no matter what you are going through, God is more powerful. Amen? I, I don't think there's any way around this opening example that we catch here in chapter 3. You have story after story, description after description of God's, basically his greatest hits. That's what you have going on here. Now, it's given in an apocalyptic uh, fashion, so there's, there's a lot of imagery here. And I don't want to, I just for time's sake, I don't want to uh, go necessarily verse by verse down through it, but maybe just to highlight a couple of things. You, you'll notice he starts out saying that in verse 3, God comes from Timan and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Uh, both of these are in southern Judah, and both of them would clue you into what he is referencing. When you look south as an Israelite and you say, that's where God delivered us, the very first thing that you're going to remember is slavery in Egypt. That for the Jewish people, for the Jewish nation, was the, was the pinnacle of God's might and power to, to quell and quench the nations and their oppression and to vindicate and to free and liberate his people. So this is the the beginning picture that we're given. And as you walk through it, you'll see that there's a lot of, again, like his greatest hits, this compilation of amazing things that God has done. The plague that went before him, pestilence that followed in verse 5 is referencing all of the plagues upon Egypt. Um, You have uh, references to Mount Sinai in here and the mountains. You have the picture of the Red Sea of being divided so that God's people can walk on dry land with the army of Pharaoh coming behind only to have God's chariots, God's horses, which is the, the water and the waves, flow over the army and destroy them all in a moment. 
You have the sun and the moon standing still. This happened in the days of Joshua in the conquest of the land. And so what we have here is a, um, uh, I, I, I'm only thinking of like a mixtape. Anyone ever make a mixtape for somebody, right? This is, we call them playlists today. Like, give me the greatest hits of what God has done. And that is exactly what Habakkuk is remembering here. And the entire reason is because no matter what he is facing, and he's facing a pretty significant storm, the Babylonians, he needs to remember, my God is more powerful than whatever it is that I'm facing. Whatever challenge that I cannot attain to, the Lord can conquer. And so this is what we see here at the very beginning. Um, I am only giving also, by the way, a little bit of a repeat of Phil's message a few weeks ago. Um, You'll remember the story from 2 Chronicles that he shared with us. This again teaches us the same message that Habakkuk is saying. The battle belongs to the... Let's say it together. Ready? The battle belongs to the Lord. And he will conquer. And so at the very beginning, this is what we must see. Secondly, uh, the wrath of God is seen in the wake of his deliverance. I can't tell you how critical uh, this one observation is for us. And you will see it here referenced in our passage in verse 13. So if if you would look back with me in the scriptures, it says that God came out to, what's the verb there? To deliver his people. Verse 12 tells us that that is characterized as his wrath. But listen, don't mess this up. God has no desire to condemn the world. That's not part of his goal. He has zero desire. He wants to see all people saved, to come to a place of repentance and find that there is a God-ordained way to live your life in worship of him. But he knows that we live under sin and corruption and curse. And so he will come to save those who are his own. What I want you to know is every time he comes to deliver, the God of righteousness coming to deliver his own will always be depicted by those who want nothing to do with him as wrath. But that's not why he's coming. That's not what God's doing. And you can see this. This is a pattern throughout the scripture. In fact, I was trying this week to think of one example where God was being wrathful just for wrathful sake. (laughs) And I couldn't think of a single one. Every time you see the wrath of God unfolding, it's always within the context of his salvation. I wonder if you might think with me for a moment how this might be a microcosm of your own life. I wonder what false gods you might have. I might have. What are, what are those places where we might devote our love and attention apart from God? Do you know what God will do to save you? He will bring his wrath to bear over these false idols. And this is the pattern that we see from the Exodus. This is the story uh, of Noah in the flood. Uh, this is the, the message that we get at the very end of our Bible. In Revelation chapter 18, the cry goes out, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, only to be followed by the the command, come out of her, my people. So the book of Revelation itself is a deliverance message that, from the world's vantage point, looks like wrath. There's no greater place where we see this than the cross. Because it's on the cross that God dealt once for all in finality with sin. 
The wrath of God poured out upon his only son. As Jesus prays in the garden, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Old Testament understanding will help us to see this is the cup of God's wrath because of sin. And so the thing that you and I need to come to terms with today is that wherever we do see God's wrath, it's not coming because God is a God of wrath. That's not who he is. He is a God of salvation. He's a God of hope. He's a God of deliverance. And if you are willing to yield to him, you will find yourself on that side of the army battle line, which is drawn. It's only if you stand in rebellion against God that his wrath then remains over you. So let's not make the mistake of misappropriating who he is. It's worth underlining in your Bibles. It's worth circling verse 13. You come to deliver. Number three, confidence is found by remembering what God has done. I want to point out to you a verse at the beginning and a verse at the end of chapter 3. If you look with me in verse 2, it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. What's, what's Habakkuk doing right there? He, he's getting out the photo album, right? He, he's getting out the, the, the memories and he's flipping back to see, do you see what God has done? Do you see who he is? His deeds are mighty and amazing. He is powerful to deliver us. And then look what he says right after that. I don't know if you caught this in verse two. It's, it's a request. I wrote in my Bible, this is what he asks for. He asks, renew them in our day. Make them known in our time. Wow, what amazing confidence Habakkuk has in God. And the source of that confidence comes specifically because he remembers what God has done in the past. Uh, one other place, if you turn with me to the end of chapter 3, he says in verse 19, I just want to highlight the name here. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Uh, this is the only place where we have those two terms coupled together, sovereign Lord. In Hebrew, it's Jehovah Adonai. So uh, Jehovah being the English translation of God's particular covenant-keeping name. This is who God is. And Adonai being the word to declare, he's Lord. So when you put those two words together, what this means is that he is sovereign. It's a beautiful word, isn't it? Sovereignty, it means uh, I'm in charge. That's what it means. It means God has got this. His hands are on the steering wheel. He's not lost. He's not tripped up. He's not falling asleep. He is overseeing everything that is happening right now. Now, how how does Habakkuk get to that point? How do we get to verse 19 and this confidence to, to decry that that God is my strength? Well, it's because he spent all of the previous verses doing what? Remembering what God has done in the past. Fourthly and lastly, and this is critical for us this morning, joy is found in the promise of God your Savior. Uh, I would like to draw your attention to verse 17 and 18. Uh, you'll notice it's a rough day for the um, farmer. H- how's the fig tree looking in verse 17? Pretty bad. Well, the winery. Pr- pr- prices just went up, right? No, no more grapes. The olive crop, crop has failed. The fields are producing no food. There are no sheep in the pen, nor, nor are there any cattle. Um, I, I would doubt many of us here even know how to relate to that. 
living in a land of abundance. Maybe you've lost your job. You know, maybe there's been a season in your life where it's like, you know, uh, I'm not sure where we're going to find our next meal. Um, even at your very worst, however, I don't think it quite raises to this level. And yet, do you see what verse 18 says? It says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Now, two things I want to say here. The first is, it does not say he rejoices in his circumstances. Um, uh, our world's messed up. Amen? amen? That deserves a louder amen, but that's, amen. that's cool. Yeah, Our world is messed up and we will face trouble. Jesus promised that to us. So nowhere are we given this weird type of masochistic command by God. Look, you just need to be happy or be more thankful or give thanks and be joyful in your circumstances. No, our circumstances are messed up. That's not where I find my joy. What does the text say? 18, I will rejoice in the Lord because the Lord transcends my circumstances. That's the first thing I want to say. And maybe there's a, there's a sermon that kind of comes out of that too that I'm just hearing from the Lord. It's really important for you and I when you encounter somebody going through a hard time that you sit with them in their hardship. It's really important that you feel whatever it is they feel because, because there is a brokenness to, to the world around us. We're not to leave them there. We're not to leave them there. So find good empathy Good empathetic compassion to say, yeah, what you're going through stinks. This is awful. It is a rubbish. I'm so sorry you're facing what you're facing. But God is still good. And he has given us a promise. And that's the second thing I want to draw your attention to. At the end of verse 18, it says, I will be joyful in God my... Ooh, do you see that? God my Savior. Do not lose the context of Habakkuk's confession. For Habakkuk is about to become a prisoner. And yet he calls God his Savior. Do you know why he's able to do that? Because he has placed his confidence in what God has done. And he's not looking at the present. He is counting. He is banking on the promise of God's future. God will save him. He will because that is who God is. How do I know that? Because I remember the exodus. I remember the flood. I remember the way in which he delivered us from the hand of the enemies as we went in conquest of the land. I remember what he has done. So I know he will deliver me in the future. It is a future-looking confidence in which you and I, from this text this morning, are given the opportunity to find joy. Isn't that a beautiful word? Joy. Kind of a tricky one, you know. A lot of times we confuse it with another word, happy. Do you know joy and happy are not the same? Happiness is many times rooted in our circumstances, right? So if my team is winning, who's rooting for the Rams? Anybody? <laughs> Bengals? Who, who, right? yeah. if, you, if your team is winning, right, if circumstances around you are favorable, you will likely be happy. But then if things don't go your way, like the punt gets blocked and someone covers it in the end zone, I still can't get over it. <laughs> I've never seen that. Anyways, anyways, yeah, not, not happy, not happy, right? Because happiness is tied to our circumstances, but joy, joy transcends whatever you face. And you and I in Christ are given a unquenchable joy because God has promised to be your savior. 
God has promised to be your Savior. So uh, uh, just a, a quick passage here. This from Psalm 118. The psalmist says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. Is my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Do you see the declaration of hope and joy on the promise of God that's there? Joy is found in the promise of God being your Savior. So what, what do we do with this this morning as we try to wrap this up? And in order to do so, um, I would like us to turn to, the, to a New Testament passage in the book of Philippians. So if, if you'd hold your spot in Habakkuk, we, we may go back there again in a moment. Don't lose your spot in Habakkuk 3, but turn to the New Testament book of Philippians in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at um, the middle of verse 18. As you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context. Uh, Philippi is a a Roman province that has a a military base settled there. And there's a church in Philippi that loves the Apostle Paul. And they have just heard that their favorite preacher is in jail. The Apostle Paul has been arrested. And he is now tied up in house arrest with a Roman um, uh, official as a prisoner in chains. This might have been in Rome, something that might have been in Corinth. um, uh, But the Apostle Paul is going to make good use of his time. And as he hears that the church in Philippi is concerned about him, he writes this letter. And this is what I want you to see. I have it up here on the screen as well. Starting in verse 18 in the middle, Paul says, yes. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want you to see that the same heart of confidence in the promise and deliverance of God that Habakkuk shares is the exact same principle and temperament and attitude that we see in the Apostle Paul. And think about these two guys. How many of you in jail right now? Raise your hand if, you're in, if the cops are coming. Anybody? No. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul had. You got the Babylonians knocking at your door? <laughs> Probably not. I know you have storms brewing, though. I know that the rain is going to come. And so if these two individuals who seek to fear and follow God are able to describe for us how to go about doing that, you and I as well need to take a lesson from that. So here's the, here's the key. You ready for it? Here's the conclusion. The believer who wants to find joy Right? If that's you, if you want to live a life not confined by happiness and despair, but you'd rather hold on to and choose joy, you can rejoice no matter the circumstances by connecting God's past redemption to his future deliverance. I don't know if that's, if that's like, you're blowing my mind this morning, Pastor. It's amazing. If that, if that rocks your world today, or if you're like, duh, <laughs> like we knew this, um, I, either way, whatever individual you are on the spectrum, this is the key. This is it right here. I, I would submit to you, however, we are woefully deficient in this. 
When I think of the American church, a church living in a culture predicated on progress and advancement and ease and efficiency, those, those are the values of the world that we live in. Do you know what we're guilty of? Do you want to know? It's we don't remember the things that were good in the past. We just want what's better in the future. Just give me the upgrade. Just give me what's coming next. That's the, that's the water you and I swim in as we live in this culture. And so we are woefully deficient at remembering what God has done in the past and then connecting that to the promise of his future deliverance. In fact, in Philippians, Paul starts the letter with this in verse six. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Right? What God did in the past is a picture of confidence to let you have joy in the present because you rely on a promised future deliverance. So what do we do with this? If this is it, if this is the key and this is the, this is the end essentially of Habakkuk and you can turn back there with me now, I'd like to offer for you from our text this morning four ways that we can apply this into our life when you hear the rain start to fall and when it feels like those shadows are not God but they're monsters. Um, I think there's four things that we can do and we can learn from this text. The first is going to be the worst. That rhymed. The first is the worst. So put your seatbelts on. Here it is. Number one, wait. Are we, th- are we there yet? When are we going to get there? No one likes to wait. And yet this is what so often God asks us to do in the middle of the trial is just to be patient. I remember sitting in the back of the pickup truck trying my best to console my sister knowing that I'm running out of, I'm running out of fuel myself to keep it together. And maybe that's you. Maybe you are going through a time where it just feels like I am almost going to snap. I'm right at my breaking point. How many, how many other people feel like that's just like every February anyways because the sun needs to come out? I mean, it's like it's just a struggle no matter what. Whatever it is you're facing, the very first thing that God wants you to do as a strategy for how to face these storms is be patient. Slow down and wait. Psalm 46 says, though the, the, the mountains fall into the sea, yet I will be still. I will be still. And so sometimes that's what you and I need to do as well and to know that we are not God. He is God and he is reigning. He is sovereign. He is in control. Look with me back into the text, if you would, in verse 16. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. What's what's the problem, Habakkuk? Why are you freaking out in verse 16? It's because the Babylonians are coming still. Like you didn't change my circumstance. Like, I, I haven't been arguing and praying to God. And then you know what God did? He was like, you know what? I'm just going to take this difficulty. I'm just going to remove it because I love you so much. God doesn't do that, you know. He lets you go through the hardship. And what does he say? What does Habakkuk say in the, the middle of verse 16? He says, yet I will wait. Yet I will wait. This is hard for us. We're not designed this way. We're not inclined this way. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't take revenge. Man, revenge is so sweet though, man. They deserve it. God says, pump the brakes. I know you think that they deserve what they deserve, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. In this passage from Psalm 27, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and say with me, 
Wait for the Lord. So the very first thing God wants you to do when you're facing a storm, here is the strategy. Number one is wait. Number two is prayer. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, what he said? He said, I will continue to rejoice for I am confident that through your prayers, what has happened to me will actually turn out for my deliverance. The Apostle Paul himself knew that it was with the prayers of the saints confirmed to his heart. I'm not alone. Man, I'm not alone. You ever feel alone? Be, be honest. Anyone here ever feel like I'm only going through this alone? You should probably come to church. <laughs> I think that's the very best thing you can do because we want you to know you are not alone. And how do I access that kind of peace in my life? Well, it is through prayer. In fact, if you look with me in Habakkuk, back to the very first verse, I don't know if you caught this. What's the second word you have in Habakkuk 3 verse 1? Prayer. That's what this is. What we just read in chapter 3, this is Habakkuk's prayer. And so we here are given the opportunity to know that you and I also need, when we're facing storms, to pray. This is what Jesus says the night of his crucifixion. It's a tough night. Anyone else think that was a pretty tough night? Look what he says in Luke 22. He says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray, but you won't fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The text says that the Lord sent a messenger, an angel, to come and bring him comfort in that moment. Why? Because this is how God has designed you and I to face the storms of life. Number one, wait. Number two, pray about this. Give it to God. And in doing so, lay that anxiety before the one who sovereignly rules and is in control, that can divide the Red Sea in front of you and is just waiting for that right time. Thirdly is this, make a list of the things that God has done already. This, this, is, this is critical. And this is what I've already spent a little time this morning saying we're pretty bad at. This is the thing that you and I need to do a better job at. I don't know if you remember from Phil's message, he shared a journal. Uh, Phil, is it a prayer journal? Blessing. A, blessing, a blessings journal. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. A way that you can catalog and remember the things that God has done in your life to serve as a kind of Ebenezer, or serve as a stone, a marker that proves, do you see the trajectory of my life? Do you see how God has served me in the past, has blessed me in the past? He will continue. He will continue. And that's exactly what we have in Habakkuk. That is his prayer. It's a listing of the things that God has done. Fourthly and finally, move forward without fear and with joy. I'm telling you, that's a good exchange. Let your fear fall and lift and embrace joy. And this is how the prophet ends this little book. If you look with me in verse 19, he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. After he says that he will find joy in God, my savior, he says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. I saw a deer this morning on my way into church on the, the side of this hill. It was negative 10 this morning. I mean, it was cold. This deer was totally fine. It was the happiest deer I've ever seen. He is just scrunching around there looking for food. Hops, hops down the road a little bit. 
How in the world is he able to do that? Well, apparently God's the one who enables him to do that. How, how rough would it have been for you if last night you slept outside with a fur coat? That would have been a rough night. What if you had to scrounge around for a little bit of grass under the snow for breakfast? Anybody? No one? No takers on that? And yet the deer, look at the deer, happy as a, happy as a lark. And that's exactly what Habakkuk says God is able to do for me. I, I want you to see, though, it doesn't say that he makes me to uh, have all my problems solved. No, he makes me nimble to be able to navigate through the difficulty, through the problem. And this is what verse 19 ends with. He enables me to go on the heights. He enables me. And this is where we end. So I have to, I have to encourage you as the church, as you face a storm in life, This is not a time for you to put your head down like Eeyore. Woe is me. You'll never get better. I guess this is just my lot in life. Hey, hey, chin up, chin up. God is your savior. Look what he did in the past. You don't think he's going to help you in the future? He's totally going to be there for you. Take joy with you now. Move on. He makes your feet nimble to face whatever it is that you're going through. Well, there's more that I could say, but I'd like us to end uh, this morning. The way the book ends, there was one final sentence. Did you see it? It says, for the director of, <laughs> for the director of music, I cannot tell you how frustrated the devil gets when you sing. <laughs> this is written, this whole thing is written as a song. And so we're going to conclude our worship this morning, and we're going to conclude the book of Habakkuk by me offering a challenge to you while you listen to a song. I'm going to play it up here on the screen. Um, have uh, Micah, make sure you hit the computer volume for me. Um, the words of this song are ex- exactly from the message of Habakkuk, from Habakkuk. It's, I, I couldn't believe it in listening to the words of the song, how this has to have been written directly from Habakkuk. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do as you listen to this song. If you know it, I'd like you to sing along But there's something more important. Do you guys have your sermon notes? Do you have them right here? Um, If you would find somebody with a pen. So ask the mom sitting near you if she has a pen. Uh, At the very bottom, it says, can you list three things that God's done for you? Three things in your past that demonstrate his power and his faithfulness. This is my challenge to you this morning because it's not enough for me to just say, hey, God is good, amen, and everybody says, yeah, amen. You need to do what the text is telling us to do today, and that's to remember God's faithfulness. So while this song plays, I want to encourage you, see if you can write down three things. That's my challenge. I dare you, dare you to do it. Here we go.